Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Wow! Hello and welcome to the Abroad in Japan podcast, probably the best way of learning about life in Japan without actually being in Japan. I'm your host, Chris Broad, and this week we're joined by not Pete Donaldson. He is away again. I'm I'm having a rare holiday. Uh, And thank you to Pete for covering last week again while I was on journey across Japan, across Kyushu. But while I'm in Kyushu, I thought I would stop by and visit a good friend and do a little interview today. I'll say a little. Hopefully it'll be half an hour long. But uh, I'm joined by the one and only Dogen. Hey, everyone. Really happy to be here. To see you, Dogen. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Dogen is kind of respected by, I think, nearly every YouTuber I know in Japan has a, a deep, profound respect for you, <laughs> Dogen. Why is that? Um, <laughs> I guess because I'm Nihongo Jose. He's Nihongo Jose. He's very, very good at Japanese. His entire channel is kind of built around satirical skits and comedy sketches. Uh, he's very good at it. And his channel can be found, just type in Dogen, D-O-G-E-N. Yep. Uh, he's quite prominent on Twitter. Are you on TikTok? Uh, no, I tried to set up Good. a TikTok, but it wasn't for me, so I got... Good man. Yeah. Good man. Don't betray YouTube, Dogen. <laughs> don't, don't turn to the dark side. There's yeah, TikTok. Yeah, it off my phone. But we'll be talking to Dogen about his experiences in Japan, what brought him here, what he's been doing. The How long have you been here now? Ten years? Or? Yeah, a little bit over ten years. And you came, like I did, to Japan on the JET program, the Japan Exchange Teacher yes, Program? Yes, that's correct. And became a teacher before moving on to the world of YouTube. But uh, let's rewind, though. When did we first meet now, Doug? It must have been well, we met on five the, years ago. Yeah, I guess it was close to five years ago because we met originally. You graciously kind of invited <laughs> me to the, the YouTuber retreat. The, that sounds a lot better than it was. It was <laughs> <laughs> the YouTuber retreat. Yeah, so, so it was like, like swanky... Like Davos Summit event. Yeah. It's just like 10 YouTubers in a shed. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, well, I guess the other people, I mean, PDR was there. Mm. Duncan, he's maybe a lot more popular on the Japanese side of things. Yeah. Joey was there. Yeah, Joey Alabama. was there. I've met him for the first time there as well, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we met then. And back then, I think you had 2,000 subscribers. Now, how many subscribers have you got? Uh, I think close to 250,000. Fantastic. And you're most prominent on Twitter, I think, a lot of your sketches um, are. Yeah. I don't have as many followers on Twitter, but I think my content is maybe better suited for mm. Twitter than YouTube. Well, I mean, seeing as you're the pro on learning Japanese, that is a topic I really want to discuss today in this episode. Because okay. I know many of you guys listening are learning Japanese at various stages. Uh, and many of you are looking to live and work in Japan at some point. So these are all topics that I'd like to cover. So first thing first, what led you to Japan? The big question, the inevitable, why are you here? (laughs) The big question. I kind of made a video about this not too long ago, actually, Mm. but um, I had, like, many different reasons that kind of changed over time. Like, first it was uh, martial arts, then it was kind of like anime, then it was Japanese video games, then it was, like, Japanese women, and then it was, you know, (laughs) Japanese cinema. And, you know, it was kind of just a combination of all these things. I think the fact that... Japan was just so foreign, so different mm, from mm. what I was used to. There was a certain element of, it, what would you say, naimono uh, nedari. Do you know what that means? Naimono nedari. No. Um, so it, it's kind of like the grass is always greener. Right. Yeah. 
So yeah. I was like, oh, Japan, it just must be, you know, so much different and, and thus so much better in every way than what I'm used to. And I, I think Se- you're from Seattle, right? Correct. Yeah. Seattle's a wonderful place. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great city. Yeah. What's, what's, what's Seattle famous for? Um, coffee, Starbucks. Fraser. What's that? Fra- Fraser. Fraser? Fraser. What's that? TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fraser. Yeah. Fraser. I, Did I say it wrong? I don't know. <laughs> Fraser. Oh, yeah, I haven't watched it. Me I've neither. Seen a few episodes. Me neither. It's quite good. But, uh, and so, I mean, so it sounds like you were interested in every kind of facet of Japanese pop culture. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's why you are so popular amongst YouTubers and folks living in Japan because you are very much deeply invested in studying Japanese culture, the language, the mm-hmm. way of life mm-hmm. in a way. And, and you've done it very successfully in a way that most of us haven't, including myself. Like, I know a lot about <laughs> Japan, but I'm nowhere near your level when it comes to the language and the culture, I feel. So, is that, is that fair? Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, it's fair because we, we just took kind of different tra- uh, trajectories in Perhaps, terms of, like, yes. I mean, I, I came to Japan because I was more interested in trying to live in a different culture. I didn't know much about Japan before I came. I was more yeah, 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 yeah. intrigued by what I would learn and how it would change me as a person, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it gave an excuse to put my filmmaking hobby yeah. to the test. But, I mean, when you moved here, going back mm-hmm. 10 years ago, you never thought, I'm going to be a YouTuber, I'm going to be producing videos, I'm going to be making sketches, right? Uh, no, but I, I did think that I, I wanted, I was going to become a writer. Right. Um, so that's, that was like my long time dream ever since like before graduating from university. Maybe, I don't know, the, some people might find this interesting, but one of the Japanese bands that got me into Japanese music like mm. way back in the day, um, I ended up meeting them in person during my study abroad. Oh, wow. And that kind of like in, I had a couple conversations with the, uh, the main singer mm. and that kind of inspired me to pursue a career – related to some kind of art form. Mm. And I, I wrote a long letter before I, I met them. I didn't know if I would get to meet them or not, wow. but they had like a MySpace at the time. Oh, wow. And so I typed up this, this really long letter in Japanese talking about how I was really grateful um, that, you know, that this band had existed because it, it led to me being in Japan and study abroad and I was, I was having a really good time. Mm. And then... I got a reply, and it's just like, come to our next show. We'd love to meet you. And I was like, what? <laughs> but during, again, multiple conversations that I had with the, with the main singer, um, she was like, yeah, that letter was like really – it really meant a lot to me. And so I thought, okay, maybe I could uh, pursue you know, a career in like writing or something like that. What was your major? What, was, what, was, what did you do at university? So it was Japanese linguistics. I started out with oh, business. Wow. <laughs> business. But um, I really didn't like it at all. <laughs> And what, How, why, why, why was that? Because um, I, studied, I studied business and linguistics, so I, and I wasn't I wasn't really into linguistics, but I was into the business side. So you and I, kind I don't of know, just the opposite in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't match my personality. Mm. What would happen every day is I would go to like my accounting classes, and I would just like get like so frustrated yeah. and like depressed, and I would leave and go to my <laughs> Japanese classes, and it would like you know really brighten me up. Um, to be fair, I was the same. I, I think uh, in my business degree, I almost failed the accounting bit. Yeah. Because I just I didn't. There was no fun or creativity to be had, right? Yeah, yeah you kind of got to grind through that bit. Yeah, yeah. And for me, business, I f- it was a creative outlet, mm-hmm. the entrepreneur aspects of it. But uh, so you preferred linguistics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I originally, again, was going to major in business. But after that experience, I was like, I don't think I can really get passionate about this. So mm. I, I switched to Japanese. And then after study abroad, um, I, I did kind of not quite a proper minor in creative writing as well, but I took like three or four classes on creative writing in addition to the Japanese studies as well during my last year of university. And at university, what level of Japanese did that get you to? What kind of level of preparation? Um, it's, N5? Or? It's hard to say because um, I kind of concentrated on pronunciation and linguistics mm. from the beginning. Mm. So I was always at a stage where the people around me in in my Japanese classes could speak, could communicate in Japanese better than I could. Right. But I had a better Japanese accent than why, they did. Why are you so interested in focusing on pronunciation and accent? I'm not curiosity. sure. Um, I think one of the reasons is 
I hadn't seen too many. We talked about this a little bit earlier, mm. but I hadn't seen too many foreigners speak with what. Native, I, native sound. Yeah, Japanese. yeah, yeah. Right. What, what I thought sounded like native Japanese. Right, right. So I thought maybe I could be that person. That's and then I would be like a special person. <laughs> a special person. <laughs> yeah, then I could be someone in Japan. In the pursuit of being a special person. Exactly. exactly. No, I, I completely get that. I do mm. understand like why that would be quite thrilling and uh, quite exciting to, to do. And, and you've succeeded to do that, right? Over a long term period, your uh, Japanese accent's very, very good and very much native. Like, yeah. Um, it's funny because I think a lot of people think that my Japanese pronunciation is better than it actually is. Mm. I my knowledge of Japanese pronunciation is higher than my Japanese ability. Right. So, kind of like arbitrary numbers, but like if my knowledge of Japanese pronunciation is like a ten out of ten, then my actual skill is probably closer to like an eight point five out of ten. Mm. If, if again, like a native speaker is a ten out of ten. Well, I mean, I remember I showed your video to Natsuki. Mm-hmm. And he was blown away. I've got there's a video on Twitter mm-hmm. where Natsuki says, "Oh, am I there? Am I Nihongo? <laughs> dragon, Dragon Sagoi, because he got your name wrong and, uh, and referred to you as Dragon, which I think <laughs> if you ever need to change your brand name, it should be Dragon in Japan. Yeah, noted for Dragon, my next channel, <laughs> Dragon's Life. So you came here on the Jet Program after your study year abroad. Mm-hmm. And you were placed – did you choose to be here in Kyushu in Beppu, the hot spring town? Uh, yeah. So I had a friend, a Japanese exchange student that studied abroad at the University of Washington. Right. Where I graduated Seattle, from. Yeah. yeah. And he was from Beppu. Mm. And so he said, if you can um, – what do you say? If you can write down where you want to go. Have a – yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Then um, you've already spent a year abroad in Tokyo. Mm, mm. It'd probably be good to see the other side, another side of Japan. Beppu is a cool city. Maybe try and go to Oita. So I, I wrote down Beppu. I ended up in a different part of Oita, mm. about an hour train ride so from here. Yeah. Beppu is considered to be Japan's biggest hot spring town, mm-hmm. I think, uh, mm-hmm. with tons of hot springs. I mean, just walking around Beppu, you can see the sort of steam rising up through the vents. And uh, it's an incredible city, that one that I recommend you guys visit if you, uh, if you come to Japan. But... Uh, they don't really let you choose where you get placed on the jet program, right? Yeah. Unless you have some sort of specific connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I chose to be in Kobe. I ended up in Yamagata. <laughs> you chose to be in Beppu, and you kind of ended up nearby. So that works. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I guess there weren't that many ALTs who would have chosen Beppu. Exactly. Because there's not much knowledge about that part of Japan. Yeah, everyone there. wants to go to Kyushu or to uh, Tokyo. Tokyo or yeah. Kyoto, the, the standard ones, where there's yeah. actually no... Jobs going, so nobody ever gets there. But yeah. uh, uh, so you came here. You were here three years, and how was that kind of experience teaching? Because they say every to AL to every assistant language teacher coming on the Jet program, they say everybody has a different experience. Everybody has it different. <laughs> how was yours? Um, well, I was pretty stoic during the whole entire time, or not stoic? <laughs> stoic. Uh, Spartan. Spartan. Um, basically, I just devoted <clears throat> my entire. That, those three years mm. to creative writing in Japanese. God, you must have written a book. Well, Several yeah, books. I wrote a couple of like short stories in Japanese at that time. Wow. Um, well, I tried to, and then I got like a lot of feedback from native speakers. But um, <laughs> was it good feedback? The way you said that was like it wasn't good feedback. Well, initially, I was writing, then they gave me feedback. Yeah, initially it was very critical feedback. Oh God, which I which I needed, right? Because I was under the very, what would you say, immature misunderstanding, uh, impression, right. that just because I was pursuing a career in writing, I must inherently be good at writing. Like, mm. I don't know anyone else who's trying to become a writer. Therefore, right. I must be a good writer. And so I showed sure. some of my what I had written to a friend that was a graduate from the Todai Bungaku, so Tokyo University uh, Literature, mm. College of Literature, I guess. And he kind of wrote like a really scathing but polite review. And it was really like, I can tell you're very, 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 very passionate about this. But these are the things that are... uh, What were some of the criticisms out of curiosity? um, The the big one and then the one that I've gotten over the years multiple times is that you're trying too hard um, because most of the... When I was studying creative writing in university, mm. I was at the same time reading some of like, you know, the greats, so to speak. So like Hemingway, mm. Dostoevsky, sure. you know, like real literary geniuses. Absolutely. And so I, 
that's kind of what I was unconsciously striving for, uh, which isn't good because I'm not a genius. I think it's a common writing writer's dilemma, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, people aspire to be like those those greats, but yeah, 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 yeah. Time's exactly. moved on. There's, a, you know, good to have a contemporary angle as well. But uh, mm-hmm. do you still write today? Um, well, I I write, but only for my YouTube videos right. right now. But I actually, kind of going back to to your previous point, one of the main criticisms, or not criticisms, but uh, feedback points that I got over and over again was that this thing that you wrote where you're really serious and you're trying to come across as, again, like this great, really cultured, you know, writer, mm. this feels really forced. But this other thing that you wrote that's like uh, kind of got elements of comedy – this is pretty funny, actually. Yeah. And that was always kind of weird to me because comedy was the last thing that I ever thought I'd be able to do. Mm. I was never like the funny kid in school or anything right. like that. But my language professor uh, or my, my creative writing professor in college uh, told me, if you want to pursue writing, uh, pursue comedy because that's what you're good at Interesting. among the things that you've written. And clearly, you are good at it because that's what your whole brand has sort of been built around. Your people throughout the world share your sort of sketches, of critiques, your commentaries about Japanese culture, learning the language. Yeah, it it worked out in ways that I certainly hadn't anticipated. <laughs> so what are some of the, the most popular videos you've done? Or some um, of your favorites? Some of my favorites. Uh, well, the, the ones that are really popular are probably the Japan in 10 years or Japanese in 10 years video. And the whole premise of that video is that Japanese is slowly just becoming Japan or English with Japanese pronunciation. Oh yeah, I remember that. One. And and <laughs> actually, it's not in ten years; it's already like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you got some examples from that video? Oh yeah, sure. Top of your head. Like um, if you say brain brainstorming, people like regularly say brainstorming in, in Japanese, mm. or like one one that really I don't know this. People will say, like, you, you know, who are you to say? It's, you know, you don't have control over the Japanese language. But I much prefer the term zayakukang, which mm. means guilty, mm. than giruti, uh, which is something that many Japanese people are starting to say. There's a lot of expressions like that. It isn't good timing one as well. Good timing. I've heard. Uh, probably, yeah. Like, good timing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard, like, things like that. And yeah. Would that be technically gaidaigo, foreign borrowed word? Yeah, so it's funny because if it if it is, you know, Japanese pronunciation of, of a foreign word, then it is like what you just said. It is gaidaigo. It is actually Japanese. Mm. And oftentimes those words have slightly different meanings than their English or native mm. counterparts, so to speak. So like naive is a good example. Naive. Yeah, in English, naive, one of the main meanings of it is you're you don't have a lot of knowledge of like a particular thing or, mm, or you're mm, kind of like mm. sheltered right right um you, you don't you know know the world so much but in japanese the nuance is more like you're a very emotional and sensitive person ah. so like i remember uh an ex-girlfriend once uh and i am quite a sensitive person. That's just kind of my personality. Mm. And one of my ex-girlfriends, I was having a conversation with her, and she said, yeah, you really are quite naive. And she, <laughs> but she said it in Japanese. Right. So I thought she was saying you're really sheltered and you don't know a lot about the oh. world. And we but, got in, like, this big fight over it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and then, like, after the fact, like, when we were on, like, the verge of breaking up two weeks later, <laughs> I was like, oh, you weren't actually saying that thing to me. You were actually <laughs> saying something that I agree with. I just... I didn't realize that it had, the words have different, uh, you know, meanings across languages. It's interesting. I wonder at what point English words become accepted into Japanese language. Like, how does it begin? How does that process begin? Uh, well, I think this is kind of just my own perception of the phenomenon, but I think some people believe that using English makes them look more cultured. Okay. And so they kind of intentionally mix in English, you know, English loan mm. words. In the place of Japanese words? It's, it's certainly quite prominent in products, right? In yes. products and yes. uh, in marketing. Yeah, yeah, English yeah. has a, an air of prestige, mm-hmm. except it doesn't because they often fuck it up. Yeah. The English comes off sounding really silly. But uh, you think that's where it begins then? Yeah. I think the, the point about advertising is, is very true. Like recently many – I've seen ads that say like business person mm. rather than, <laughs> you know, like uh, jin. 
like you know, international talent. So,、uh, yeah, I do think it's, it's a way of, it's a, a method that people use to try and stand out,、mm, mm. among other things. It'd be interesting to see how that goes on as time progresses, when、yeah. more, more words become adopted. But going back to、um, your time on Jet, in、yeah. between writing masterpieces and creative、right. writing, how was your experience teaching?、Um, what, what, how old were the, the students?、Uh, well,、heads? I started out with just. Middle school, two middle schools. So, what is about 12 to 16?、Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then、um, uh, during the, my last year, the Ministry of Education passed the whatever it was, the not law, but policy to implement English into elementary schools as well. Okay. So, during my last year, I started teaching at three elementary schools as well. Oh, God.、That's、yeah. A lot of skills. Yeah. So, to be frank, I never really. Enjoyed teaching、mm. English. I, I really liked interacting with the students mm, mm. and trying to like show things that you know, were very foreign to them. Like, I had a couple of students that really, what would you say? They, they didn't know what to do with like their lives, so to speak,、mm. like their, their future, but they thought that the only thing that they could do was kind of、uh, pursue the traditional career paths that were around them.、Mm. Um, And so I remember trying to encourage like, some students to like, create their own business surrounding like, a particular field. Like, I remember one student was like, wanted to get into like, translation or something. Okay. And,、uh, but there was something about it that she didn't like. And I said, you know, you don't have to try and fit yourself into that you know, peg or what do you say? Into that. What, yeah, 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 yeah. You can. You can Make your own kind of translation business.、Oh, it's not as easy in Japan, though, is it? Starting a business is a very scary thing.、Yeah. Failure is not、exactly. accepted. So like, I was trying to kind of bring over those, what would you say, more risky entrepreneurial、mm, elements of、mm. American culture. Sure. I mean, that is the, one of the biggest differences between America and Japan, right?、Mm. America is very good at fostering entrepreneurship and. You can do anything. If you come from America, you believe like, you can do、yeah. anything. Whereas the UK is kind of in the middle, I、mm-hmm. think. Like, I can do anything. No, you can't. <laughs> Get back in the office. I can do all, almost anything. Get back on the Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> But no, I, I do find that that's a, a, a pretty sad aspect of Japanese culture. Yeah.、Uh, people feel they don't have any social mobility, they don't feel they can do a lot. And、uh, yeah, certainly yeah, when yeah. I was a teacher, you know, I was like, come on, you can do whatever you want. What do、mm. you want to be? And. More, office, more, more often than not, it was, oh, you know, I want to work in an office.、Mm-hmm. That was a, a very common answer, I think 70% of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to work、exactly. in an office. Like, I, and I had worked in an office、mm-hmm. doing Excel spreadsheet stuff, and it was not very fulfilling. So yeah, I, yeah, I was yeah, always yeah. trying to push them. But yeah, exactly. It's the <clears> same <throat> kind of thing, you know, like there, there are other options. Like you can, you、mm. can give it a try, so to speak. Absolutely. But、uh, I mean, and so because you, you had so many schools, was it difficult to build up a relationship with the students? and... It really sort of depended on shuffling between classes. Yeah, it, it depended on the student.、Um, the schools were actually each quite small.、Mm. So, despite going to multiple schools, I knew all, <clears throat> all my students by name. Oh, that's cool. And, like, the ones that were particularly interested in English, I was obviously much closer to. Yeah. But, yeah, it, yeah, it was not as difficult as, as you might imagine. Right. Well, that, that's reassuring to hear. Because,、mm. yeah, no, I. Everyone has a different experience. I was very lucky. I went to, I had like this biggest senior high school in North Japan. So I、mm-hmm. had just one school、mm-hmm. for the three years. And、yeah. then, whilst I had a lot of students, I was still able to build up a lot of relationships. So, yeah. yeah. I, how do you look back on your time as, a, as an English teacher overall? Favorably or ambivalent?、Mm, well, I'm, I'm glad that maybe I was potentially able to help or. I don't want to say inspire because that makes me sound like、inspire. I'm yeah, like,、uh, more important than I actually am. But hopefully, I was able to help the students that were interested in learning English.、Mm. And I certainly know that the JET program offered me a lot of opportunities for kind of my future in Japan, so to speak.、Mm-hmm. Like, it gave me an opportunity to work in a Japanese environment,、yep. learned a lot of Japanese, learned a lot about areas of Japan. That aren't Tokyo? Sure, sure. And you don't regret going on it at all? No, 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 no. Not That's at all. That's reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> I, I must admit, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's really, truly regretted going on the JET、mm-hmm. program.、Mm-hmm. That's pretty reassuring. And whilst I share your 
I, I you know I'm completely in the same boat as you. I I don't know how easily I can quantify the impact mm-hmm. that I had, um, but hopefully there are a few students who I was able to help, and that's that's the only thing you can take away from it really. Yeah, like I wouldn't want to be an English teacher again. <sighs> no, but again, that's. Not to say that I regretted the time at all. No, no. I, I, I learned a lot during I think, that time. And, and you, like me, we, we, we've both done three years, right? I think mm-hmm. any more than that, and I would have, I would have gone insane. But that was the right amount to, mm-hmm. to enjoy it, to, to learn from it, and to, to get out of it. But yeah. uh, One thing that we talked briefly about during a Q&A that we did a couple yeah. of years ago on my channel is that one of the things about the JET program is that depending on what you studied in university mm. – Oftentimes, you don't actually use what you studied in the JET program, and you kind of, depending on your situation, you can end up kind of as just like a tape recorder. Yeah. And it, it can be very stressful to be in that situation <laughs> and watch your friends back home <laughs> kind of climb up their career path. Like I had friends going to like Google and Deloitte yeah, yeah, yeah. and Accenture, and I was like, here I am, um, I, not making any progress. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. In our daily lives, we all carry around with us different stressors. They can be big, they can be small, and sometimes we might not even realise that we're carrying them around with us. But if these feelings stay bottled up, they can start to affect us negatively, which is why having a positive outlet for discussion can be such a valuable tool for your well-being. Therapy can be a perfect outlet for your inner stressors. It's a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Sometimes just speaking things out into the open can be such a great release of inner tension. So you can spend less time stressing about the issue and more time figuring out how you can overcome it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Japan today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash Japan. Join us on the Football Ramble as we explore the ridiculous world of football. We bring in-depth analysis of the biggest moments, like Bruno Fernandes' one-eyed penalties. Sounds like a Metallica song. Yeah, it does. <laughs> obviously, like... one eye open. <laughs> but if you have one eye closed, you know your perception. So imagine yeah. if you tried the dink and it just like went like two feet in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> Every weekday we cover the good, the bad and the Newcastle. Although Shelby wasn't surprised either. He said the way they play isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> and you couldn't fucking beat him, could you? Could Shelby be the mole? <laughs> Bruce accused the mole of treason. <laughs> to the Geordie Nation. Yeah. Putting the football world to rights. 
<laughs> you want to put a message on a t-shirt under your shirt, slag yeah. it off your mind. Yeah. That is an absolute minefield in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, lads, I'll put it in another language. Do you know how many languages that man speaks? <laughs> with Roy. Yeah. <laughs> that might wash with Roy. We're here with the biggest stories from the sport we love, and we want you to get involved too. Search the Football Ramble on your favourite podcast player to listen now. This was a Stakhanov production. I definitely had days when I was standing in front of 40 students going, I like penguins, repeat after me, I like penguins. And I thought, what the fuck have I done? Why am I doing this? I studied for three years, I spent billions on my degree, and I'm standing in a room being a tape recorder. But that was my first year. After that, I really pushed back. And the teachers, I I had 10 teachers I worked with, and over half of them were like, Chris Sensei, you do what you want. You kind mm. of go along with it. And so those were the classes where I was able to get students to write a short film or do skits mm. or act things out. And those were we, I was able to kind of have impact and enjoy it. And, mm-hmm. you know, the coolest thing I did was get the students to make a magazine and mm-hmm. things like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was fun. But no, definitely there were a lot of classes that are like that. And mm. inevitably, if you come and teach in Japan, whether it's JET, whether it's NOVA, whether it's any teaching program, you will find yourself doing that mm-hmm. and having that. Have I chosen the right path here moment? Yeah, um, and that's that's one of the reasons that I always encourage people that are doing English teaching to develop a, a, another skill set on the side mm. unless you actually love English and would just and, – and be just <laughs> as happy teaching English sure. outside of Japan. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean I was lucky during my time teaching. I, I learned Japanese in my mm-hmm. free time. I was able to build the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got I got a lot of it in that regard, but uh, yeah, what an experience it was. Yeah, but, it's pretty cliche to like quote Steve Jobs at this point, but one of the things that he said at his like start, uh, Stanford speech is, "You don't know how the dots are going to align." Mm. And again, going back to what we just said, there there's moments there when you're like, "God, I'm never going to be able to get like a proper job back in the states," and sure, I I'm not really making any more money staying on the jet program. But, I mean, if you go back to, you said that, you know, you had those moments where your friends were going off to big blue mm-hmm. chip companies, successful careers. Yeah. At the same time, I, teaching aside, living in Japan, the experience of living in Japan, living in the rural countryside and mm-hmm. learning a language, that was way more exciting than any job. Mm-hmm. You could have a Google or Accenture yeah. or wherever, uh, you know, yep. you're getting so much out of it. And for me, the overall experience of living in Japan and teaching was an incredible one and that outweighed working in a big company with lots of money I think yeah yeah you yeah can't get that and mm-hmm. uh, you know I had friends that did go into those sort of companies and regretted it later on down the line because mm-hmm. they make good money but your chance to live and work in Japan has sort of diminished and you yeah. can't ever do yeah, it absolutely. So it's, yeah absolutely it's ups and downs really yeah it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because again I was looking back and being like oh I've made a mistake mm. I, I'll never be able to get to that point mm. And now it's I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum where I'm looking at those friends who are still in those companies and many of them, like you said, they've come to not like their jobs well, too no. much anymore. And yeah. um, we've been both lucky enough to have successful content creative mm. content creation, you know, jobs. Absolutely. It's yeah, and I feel very lucky to to be in that position. So mm-hmm. yeah, something to bear in mind to those of you choosing your careers. I, yeah, you know, for I I was actually looking at getting a job at Accenture, which oh, is a really? consulting firm, and yeah, I looked yeah. at it, um, and I'm very glad I didn't. I'm very mm-hmm. glad I pursued. A lot of people thought I was mad to come and teach English. I remember because I I was I did alright at university. Mm-hmm. I've never been very good academically, but I had a good run at university, and I was mm-hmm. expected to get a good consulting job, make lots of money and live a life of that would be it. But yeah, I've never regretted that once. And that's something to to really think about. There's more to life than a big salary from a blue chip company. For sure. Um, So after you finished Jet, you carried on teaching, but in a university capacity. Um, Actually, no. What what I did is I kind of did visa hopping between Japan and Korea for almost a year. Oh, God. So, like, my jet visa ran out. Well, it, it ran out because I said I'm going to stop after three years. Mm. And so that was my decision. Mm. Um, but because of that, I had to leave Japan right. that, that August that year. And so what I did is I didn't want to go, just go back to the States. So I said, okay, I'm going to uh, go to Korea for six months and live in, like, this little kind of hostel place. Oh, wow. And um, so I did that, and I pursued creative writing the entire time. 
Um, so it was just basically I was living off my savings from the JET program. I saved all my money when I was on the JET program. You, you did the opposite to me. Yeah. Nice one. Because <laughs> um, all I did was creative writing. So I just sat in my cheap apartment mm. and, and, and write all the time. <laughs> and so I was able to save close to like, I don't know, 30,000-ish dollars across oh, wow. three years. Nice one. Yeah. And so I, I lived off of that. And, and I was lucky enough to have not have had to bear uh, college tuition. My parents paid for my college tuition. You lucky rascal. Yes, I was very, very, <laughs> very lucky. Um, and so because of that, uh, I was able to live off of my, my savings mm, mm. for about a year before I started to have uh, to really get in a position where I was like, okay, i got to start working again. This is <laughs> getting... Well, it sounds like you kind of were working by writing. Well, yes, yes, yes. I was developing my skills. Um, uh, but then you came back here. Yes. found another job, presumably. Yeah. And so what, what actually happened is that guy that I mentioned earlier who was from Beppu, hmm. he connected me to the cram school teacher that for the cram school that he used to go to in Beppu. And I, I ended up working there for about a year. So you found your way back into the world of teaching. Yes. 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 How was that in comparison to Jet? Um, well, it was, it was very, very different. Because on Jet, I had a lot more kind of flexibility. And whereas like the cram school is kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's it's meant to kind of cram knowledge into the students such that they're able to pass university exams. Presumably you would have worked in evenings because students yes, finish school, correct. then they go to a cram school for two hours to learn some stuff to pass a bloody exam. Correct, yeah. correct. And so um, when I was teaching on the Jet program, I had a little bit of flexibility too. And I was trying to kind of teach the students more relaxed conversation. So I was teaching them things like, I want to go, I got to go, mm. instead of like, I must go, yeah, right, I right, right. have to go. So I was, trying to teach them, I was trying to teach them kind of realistic conversational English, so to speak. Um, but when I tried to do that in, in the juku, the teacher kind of sat me down and oh, said, man. this isn't working um, – and to be fair, I didn't have, what would you say, like a proper like syllabus. Sure. I was kind of winging it to a certain extent. Well, I, I used to do what you did there. I, when I was a teacher, I would be like, I want to. I'm yeah, going yeah, yeah. to. You know, I'm going to the shop. Maybe yeah. talks like that. Mm -hmm. But I guess, again, the cram school, the metric for success is, are they going to pass the test? Exactly. In the test, they don't have, I want to go. I'm going to go. Mm -hmm. It's very much yeah. a silly kind of written test. Mm -hmm. really. mm -hmm. I mean... And how is you in terms of how English is taught in Japan? Mm -hmm. how, how do what do you think? Is it done well? I don't think it's done <laughs> well. I think that it's uh, it, it seems like it's changing for the better right now. I got that impression. Mm -hmm. What well, just in my last year they started focusing a lot more on conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is good because I think it's very much textbook heavy. It's very much written and writing. Mm -hmm. And the best part of a, the, the, the funnest part of learning uh, Japanese for me has been. Mm -hmm. Using it in conversation, yep. in everyday life, mm -hmm. talking to friends like Natsuki or Ryotaro. And so I feel like they need to focus more on that because mm -hmm. students will understand why English is fun. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of the students don't understand why they're learning English as well. Yeah. I tried to teach them, like, if you learn English, you can live in every country in the world because mm -hmm. it's, it's the global language and you've got a lot more business opportunities, a lot more work opportunities. Mm -hmm. I always pushed that because mm -hmm. I got the impression the students, certainly in the rural area that mm -hmm. I live, they were like, why do we need it? Yeah, I'm just yeah, yeah. Work yeah. on a farm or an yep. office. Like, exactly, exactly. You know, and a lot of my Japanese friends in their forties regret not being better at English mm -hmm. later on in life. But mm -hmm. um, so after the cram school, what happened then? Okay, yeah. So actually, when I was working at the cram school, the teacher there that hired me, she knew that I was trying to pursue writing, mm. and she was she very very graciously kind of hired me with a what would you say a minimal work schedule such that I could teach just enough in order to get uh, enough money to like pay my rent mm. um, and then if I was frugal I could <laughs> live off of that and also practice writing or you know just try and write yeah. many hours each day and that's what I did oh wow um, and then during that time I met my now wife yeah. and it became obvious to me that if we were going to have a future together that, together that I would need a proper job and so I applied to Ritsumeik on Asia Pacific University, and I got a job there doing student recruitment. 
Mm. And that was like my first, like, what would you say, proper, proper job? <laughs> You're saying the jet program isn't a proper job? <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't a, <laughs> as, uh, what would you say, demanding as like what I did right, at APU. Right, right. And, and throughout this time, what level are we talking for your Japanese? Like when you're on the jet program, how good was your Japanese? You know, it's, it's very f- funny because, like I said earlier, oh, well, I, th- I can't remember if I said this during mm. the podcast or mm. during the live stream, but um, because. We did live stream just before this podcast. I think I, we said it in the podcast, <laughs> yes. but uh, my Japanese, because I concentrated on pronunciation for a long time. Right. Um, it was my pronunciation was always pretty decent compared to my peers. Yeah, um, but I had to play catch up big time mm. after graduating from university. Right, and so during kind of like those those years, concentrating on the creative writing, I was doing that in Japanese, and so it was a little bit odd because I never got like really good at kanji or really good at like advanced grammar or anything like that. But I did get to a point where. I became confident in doing a s- very specific type of creative writing in Japanese. Mm. And so my conversational Japanese was certainly, you know, better than average. But, I mean, there's, there's many, many people who speak conversational better, uh, Japanese better than me. Have you done the JLPT tests? Yeah, 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 yeah. What, yeah. what point did you pass JLPT N1, for example? Um, so... I did like a, what would you say, a practice test to, to assess my Japanese during, I think, my first year of the, the JET program. Yeah. And I scored uh, into the N1. Wow. But then when I started studying for it, I was like, wait, this is like way <laughs> too hard for me. So I just – I actually took like a, a hiatus from my creative writing for like a, 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 almost a year and I studied for the JLPT. But it was funny because I studied in a way that was similar to the way that I'd studied for tests in the mm. American education system. Right. And what I mean by that is that it's basically just testing your knowledge, whereas the JLPT, in my opinion, to a certain extent, it's testing your knowledge and your ability to take the JLPT. Yeah, it's a funny old exam. I mean, I've taken N2. Mm-hmm. I took it once on my only two years in studying Japanese. And I, mm-hmm. I did it as a test run, but mm-hmm. I was able to get about f- just, I got like 49% or something, mm-hmm. which is pretty good for two years of studying Japanese. Oh, yeah. And I yeah, regret yeah, yeah. not carrying on studying and, uh, and, and passing N1, something mm-hmm. I'll have to do eventually, inevitably. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's like a lot of the textbooks that teach you how to pass the JLPT exam yeah, it's, it's about le- it's about passing the exam rather than the knowledge itself. Exactly. Which feels inherently wrong. Yes, is is how you get tested in Japan for a lot mm-hmm, of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very silly, and there's no conversation aspect at all, is there? Correct. Yeah, which is f- massively flawed because a lot of people I know who are very good, very good with their memories, mm-hmm. but can't speak Japanese that well, mm-hmm. would sail through mm-hmm. the exams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was kind of the opposite, where my strength, my pronunciation, wasn't getting tested, <laughs> and so um, the one thing you're super duper well knowledgeable knowledgeable about, yes. yeah. So uh, I, t- I took the test, but I actually had like a panic attack during the test because – Oh, God. Um, sorry, technical difficulties. OK, I think we're back. Um, again, panic I – attack. I, I only studied for uh, – I only studied the, the knowledge. Right. And so what happened during the test is I was like, OK, this is the real test. I got to take my time and make sure that I'm like not – you know, marking my bubbles wrong or anything like that. Sure, sure. And so I was like, okay, C. Okay, okay, this is C on my answer sheet. Okay, I'm going to double check that. Okay, I'm going to triple check that. <laughs> and so what happened was what you should do if you want to pass the JLPT is you should just take a bunch of timed practice tests such that you know how long you have and stuff like that for, for each section rather than trying to mm. memorize all the information. Um, so I, I got through like – the the grammar section of the test, like up until the reading section, and uh, I looked up and I, w- I had way less time than I thought that oh, I, I had because I was so stupid. I didn't ever do a proper timed practice test. Oh, God. Again, I just did like the knowledge. I just yeah, studied yeah, the yeah. knowledge. And so like half of the reading section, I just did like all C. 
Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I happened to get <laughs> oh, no. a, a grade that was, you know, good enough, good enough to pass. But it was funny because the uh, – mm. my, my score for the, the grammar section, I got a perfect score on that section. Oh, wow. Because that's what I had studied, uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when, it, when I got to the other bit, I absolutely, you know, bombed that bit. And so I've never felt good about that. And so recently I've actually been studying to, to take the test again. Oh, God. Really? Yeah. You don't yeah. need to, though, surely. Well, actually, I do. Why? Um, because, uh, because most of my knowledge, again, it, it's related to pronunciation. So you've lost some of the words. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. A, a fair amount, actually. Um, on the subject of learning Japanese, what tips do you have for, for new learners? Because inevitably, a lot of you guys listening are uh, learning Japanese <laughs> at an early level. But what are you, tips and advice? Yeah, I think my number one piece of advice would be to uh, kind of what would you say? Use a study method similar to what my friend uh, Matt versus Japan recommends. Right. And that's fully e- e- uh, immersion based approach. Ah, okay. Like just listen to Japanese. All the time. Yeah. And one thing that I like to really recommend is watch the same Japanese movie mm. like over and over and over and over and over again until you've literally memorized every single line in the movie. It's a good idea. Yeah. Certainly when I was in my first and second year studying hardcore mm. immersion, when I, you know, after a long day at work where I'd be exposed to Japanese listening and I'd use it, I'd have like a TV on, I'd watch a sitcom or something, mm-hmm. and then yeah, I'd pick yeah, up yeah. the words in that as well. So it's a really good idea. Full immersion. Yeah. Full immersion. Yeah. Try and watch things, try and listen to things mm-hmm. in between studying. So yeah, it comes yeah, up. Yeah. yeah. And you'll there's nothing more rewarding than learning some new words or some grammar and then hearing it. Yes. Or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It for out sure. and about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so on the subject of YouTube. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about YouTube. Okay. How you, how you became a YouTuber. <laughs> uh, through my collaborations with <laughs> Abroad in Japan. Definitely. Like, uh, so uh, you started your YouTube channel while you were... At APU. ...working at the university. Mm-hmm. And how did that come about, starting YouTube? Well, I started to get, what would you say, itchy at APU. <laughs> itchy. Because up until then, I had really always had that creative outlet on the side where I was pursuing creative writing. But once I started working at APU, initially I was too busy with my day job. And your job was, was getting it was student students, recruitment, encouraging yeah. students to come to Asia Pacific University. University yeah. yeah, so I would go all across Japan and also like Southeast Asia. Wow. Um, and be like, hey, come to this university. It's pretty cool. You know, pretty cool. Yeah, it, it, the travel element was really, really cool. But um, there was no real creative outlet. Exactly. Right. And so after about a year of that, after I got a little bit used to the job and it wasn't so stressful, I, I was like, I wasn't happy with the work. Mm. Again, it was fun traveling, but I didn't like the work at all. And so I was like, okay, I got to do something to kind of scratch that creative itch. And so I thought, well, maybe what I'll try and do is I've got all these, you know, scripts and essays and even short novels that I've written from like my time in the JET program before. These never did particularly well in just the written format. But what if I took these and delivered them as like little... Uh, what would you say, bits, skits? Skits, yeah. yeah on on YouTube. And your videos, how long are they on average? Four um, to five minutes? I think on average, maybe between one and two minutes. Mm, mm. Although I've done some pieces that are like closer to like 30 minutes. Mm. So it really depends on the video, but most of them are relatively short, yeah. Was it quite a big deal making your first video for, for YouTube? Yes and no. Um, and what I mean by that is I had kind of a strategy from the beginning where um, the initial few videos were rather broad in terms of the audience, and then I gradually narrowed down the strike zone. Mm. So my first video, you may remember, I don't know if I showed you or not, but it was actually like this like fake phone review that had nothing to do with Japan. You did show me, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, but that was a, a comedy video. Mm. But at the time, like tech reviewers on YouTube were really, really popular. And I thought it would be funny to do like kind of like a parody version of these. <laughs> and so that's what I did for my first video. And it didn't do particularly well, but it, uh, it was my first video, so it, w- it wouldn't do well. I had no audience. Mm-hmm. Um, it did okay because I had like, I don't know, 500 subscribers at that point already from when I was tricking before. In university, I used to do this, do this sport called tricking. It's kind of like martial arts mixed with gymnastics. It's but very cool. I wish, I wish I could do it. Everyone, Doka can do a backflip out of thin air. He I used like to throw be able himself to. back and do a backflip. I used to be able to. Whereas 
I could only fall down the stairs. That's my magic trick. But like, it's pretty cool, tricking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like but everyone that did tricking, well, most people that did tricking were self-taught, and they learned by watching videos of other people mm. and analyzing videos of themselves. Mm. So when YouTube came around, everyone that did tricking immediately signed up. Right. Because it was like, finally, we don't have to, like, pool our money together to, like, host videos yeah, on, like, yeah. you know, these obscure sites. So I got on YouTube, actually, in, like, 2006. Uh, but when was it that your YouTube career in took, Japan. Off, took off again in Japan? Yeah, so, again— like 2015, 14? Uh, 2016, January 1st is when I uploaded right. that, that remember photo the date, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I knew that I, I had—I had set a deadline for myself is why I remember it. Um, so that first video was like, again, this fake phone review that 500 people saw because they were subscribers from back in the day. Mm. And I had, a, you know, I want to say maybe like two or 300 fans that were following me because of my writing. Yeah. Because I had published some stuff online on like my own website and other places. But um, one, one, one thing, when I, when I talk to a lot of friends, so I, I know who do YouTube, mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things they have in common is none of them really expected any success. They did YouTube because they just mm-hmm. enjoyed it fundamentally, the mm-hmm. creative process. Like I never – for the first two years that I did this, I don't think I even knew you could make money from mm-hmm. YouTube until two years in. But like did you have any expectations from it? Do you think my goal is 100,000 subscribers, I'm going to get this? Or was it just I'll, just I'll just enjoy doing this and we'll see what happens? Like, Was there any strategy? Was it any expectations of success? Yeah, this – I don't know. This probably is kind of the opposite of what a lot of people say, and this will make me sound like an ass, but I went in with the mindset, I'm going to make this work, and I'm going to become successful at this. Right. And so I uploaded a video, no matter what, every single Monday, every week for, I think, two years, at least until my kids were born. Yeah, yeah. And it was during that time that my channel really had the, the, what would you say, the big growth period yeah. that it did. Consistency is one of the most important aspects of success yeah. on YouTube. Right? Yeah. You know. and, I, and again, the thing that might rub people the wrong way is I did have confidence mm. in my writing ability. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I felt I'm good enough to at least get to a point where I can do this and get by for a living. And how long were you doing YouTube while you were working before you were able to become a full-time right. YouTuber? Because you um, did it in a relatively short space of time compared to someone like, I think myself, it took me three to four years, maybe? Yeah. Before I was fully invested in YouTube and I was doing YouTube full-time. Um, well, let's see. I, I guess it was closer to two, two, two years. years. Although, to be fair... Um, when my kids were born, I want to say my kids were born about two years after I started properly, you know, trying to do mm. YouTube. And then I went on parental leave from APU for a year and a half. So I was still technically an employee Genius. there. Um, and <laughs> a uh, paternity leave. Yes, exactly. Genius. Exactly. Oh, that's the best time to start a YouTube channel and bring and so, grow it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't actually end up with more time because uh. I was now raising two kids. I have twin daughters. Um, so, But I was able to still upload, not as consistently as before, but I was able to upload and I tried to also maintain what I thought was the level of quality that I had kind of established up until that point. Um, and after... My well, I had a five-year contract with APU, so I was on the uh, the parental leave for a year and a half. Mm. And when that uh, was over, my Patreon was doing well enough that I just went on to Patreon. Yeah, and this is something that's really interesting uh, that might be relevant to smaller creators or folks who have a kind of a niche mm-hmm. target audience. You built your kind of YouTube business around Patreon to some extent. Like yeah, you, you because you're so good with pitch accent and Japanese, you created a course that you sold through Patreon, and then mm-hmm. that became uh, almost a bigger part of business than your YouTube channel, right? Oh, yes, much bigger for me, yeah. Which is f- fantastic, I think, because it can be difficult as a YouTube creator. You've got to find your niche, mm-hmm. and often your niche isn't big enough to create the ad mm-hmm. revenue to yeah, live yeah, and yeah, build yeah, a yeah, business. Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting strategy. And I often talk to people in different sectors <laughs> who have a kind of a niche market. Yeah, it was. The Doga model, mm-hmm. as I call it. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what, had, <laughs> what had happened was, 
I think I was like, I don't know, six or seven months into YouTube. Yeah. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I must, you know, be close to making some decent money by now. And then like <laughs> it was around that time that also my channel got like monetized. Yeah. And then I got like my first paycheck from YouTube and it was like $2 for like a month or something. And I was $2. like, this is not going to work. <laughs> and so um, actually what happened is around that same time, one of – my videos, uh, someone from like the Learn Japanese Reddit, yeah. there's a Reddit about learning Japanese, uh, they posted my video there and it got a bunch of upvotes and uh, I saw like a thousand new subs like overnight and I was like, where did this come from on Twitter? And someone said, oh, they, they posted it on Learn Japanese. So I, I went over there and I said, I'm the creator of this video, ask me anything. Um, and then a bunch of people said, that your stuff is really fun and interesting. You should make a Patreon. I would love to support it. Mm. And so I was like, Patreon, what's that? And so, you know, I kind of did a little bit of research and I ended up going with a strategy that, I don't know, I've never really liked just, you know, I'm here, I'm doing this thing, give me money, you know. Sure. So I thought I should try and offer some kind of product to Absolutely. incentivize people giving me their donation. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, I've got like all this knowledge of pitch accent and this typically isn't taught. So maybe I'll make like a few lessons about this and that ended up turning into like this big series and and in many ways the YouTube channel promotes the Patreon exactly and the exactly. Patreon has become the business this pitch accent course that you teach yeah 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 so um, my passion lies in the the comedic stuff the creative writing but at the end of all my videos is Japanese pronunciation lessons on Patreon so my my comedic content serves as an advertisement for the phonetics course it's really interesting. I mean, I I've, I have a Patreon for Born in Japan, and I completely share your sentiments. I've I've always tried to put a lot of behind the scenes stuff on there, like mm -hmm. behind the scenes mm -hmm. vlogs and articles, and uh, with Journey Across Japan, yeah, I've got some upcoming behind the scenes episodes coming out. And when I started Patreon, which was around the same time you did, I always I felt a bit guilty, you know, this idea, this idea of uh, asking people for to to sort of invest or believe in the channel like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big leap, but. I'm glad it's become more of a mainstream thing now, and everyone's yeah. on Patreon these days. Mm -hmm. and I think it's great for, for all creators. And you can set up a Patreon for so many things, and it's just opened the doors for the creative sector as a whole. People yeah, are creative. Like, yeah. There's demand for these, mm. these, these products and services that it was just invisible up until this point. Right, yeah. To a certain degree. And it's good that we don't have to live and die by YouTube's yeah, scary yeah, yeah, ad revenue yeah, yeah, system, yeah, yeah, yeah. which frequently bloody demonetizes Yeah, things. just just now, like four, five years into it, I guess at this point, yeah, five and a half years into it at this point, I'm finally at a point where I'm making as much money on YouTube as I was mm. at APU. Wow, wow. Really. Yeah, finally, five, <laughs> five and a half years into it. To wrap things up, though, to, to our listeners who are considering living and working in Japan, any, mm -hmm. any key tips you'd like to Yeah. Um, maybe a couple of things. I'll try and keep this concise, though. Mm. I love living in Japan. I really, really like living here. I, uh, I, I think I have a very lucky and blessed life. But I do think that besides that, Japan is, generally speaking, again, this is just coming from my own experiences, but is a nice, pleasant place to live. Mm. The food is amazing. <laughs> People are generally speaking very nice. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very safe. And it's also quite modern mm. in terms of like technology and use, uh, not usefulness, but you yeah. guys are convenience. Um, so I do think that Japan is a wonderful place to live. And I hope that more people come to live in Japan because it saddens me that the population of Japan is going down. Very quickly as well. Very yeah. quickly, and that it's really starting to have a negative impact on the country in terms of, like, economics and, like, the social security system. And yeah, it's becoming in the countryside where friends like Natsuki live. Yeah. yeah. He's seen, I think he's seen his business affected just because the population has dropped. Exactly, exactly. Tens of thousands of people. So it's... In, it's in my own selfish interest to <laughs> hope that as many people come to Japan and have you know happy lives here. But just again, I've always been fascinated by Japanese culture, and I really like, I love Japan, and I, I want Japan to continue to be mm. a great place to live for as many people as possible, including Japanese people and including foreigners. So um, I do think that uh, 
if you if you're interested in coming to Japan, do come to Japan. It's awesome, especially if you're if you're if you've been one of those people like me that wanted to go to Japan mm. their whole lives. You'll love it. I yeah, I don't know many people that have come to Japan and had a bad experience. And I'd say if you're thinking about it, mm-hmm. do come to Japan. Even mm-hmm. if you come for one year and it's not what you think it is, you can always go back. But you'll mm-hmm. have the experiences along the way mm-hmm. that you'll hopefully treasure for your lifetime. You yeah. Know? So either way, you win if you come to Japan. I think. Yeah. And then the other thing I was going to say is that um, English can be a great way to get your foot in the door. Mm. But I think the key to a successful life in Japan for the long term is knowing what you really want to do for work. Absolutely, yeah. Um, So if you do get your foot in the door through English, develop a skill set again on the side and make sure that that's something that you actually like to do. And Yeah, from the get-go, when you come and start teaching, start thinking about... Yes. The next thing. So yeah, have like a roadmap. A th- yeah, and you've got a three-year head start if mm-hmm. you are teaching for three years. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, so thank you so much for coming on the show, Dagan, and sharing your story. Yeah, it was you awesome. check out Dagan on YouTube, on Twitter, D-O-G-E-N. D-O-G-E-N. Dogen. But thank you very much. And uh, we'll be back on the podcast on Sunday, guys. Do it all over again. But for now, no matter where you might be, out there in the big wide world, enjoy the rest of your week. And we'll see you on Sunday. Have a good one. See you guys. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.